I'd like to read three verses to you from Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. On these three Sundays of Advent, last Sunday, today, and next Sunday, which is Christmas Day, I want you to think with me about a significant truth simply stated. It is that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the only Jesus there really is, this Jesus is God. Last Sunday we looked at that fact specifically. Jesus, Romans chapter 9 verse 5, Jesus who is God over all, forever praised, meaning that Jesus is the sovereign Lord, the almighty God who reigns in supremacy over all of us. For this reason, he is worthy of our praise. Next Sunday, we will think about the fact that Jesus is God the Lord, recalling the words of uh, the angel to the shepherds, Today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Our theme for today is that Jesus is God our Savior. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in that immediate context, he bears the title Emmanuel, which means Jesus is God with us. He is God with us and he's a saving God. For this reason, we are able to confess with confidence that Jesus is God, our Savior. That's our theme. You may recall a number of years ago, on various highways stretching across the United States, there were these billboards that read, Jesus is the answer. There were hundreds of them. Well, someone climbed up to one of them and spray-painted across the affirmation that Jesus is our answer, what is the question? Vandalism is always wrong, but the question itself is a valid one. Why did Jesus come into our world? What's his purpose for entering our world? And the answer that is given repeatedly in Holy Scripture is that Jesus came to be our Savior. Listen to these words from 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You can count on this being an authentic affirmation from God himself. Trust this statement. Jesus came into the world as his chief purpose, as his ultimate priority, to save his people 
from their sins in the middle of our Lord's ministry as he's talking to a small number of people. He says to them concerning himself, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He, of course, means the spiritually lost. Those who are under the just sentence of condemnation. He came to pursue them, to seek them out, and bring them under the umbrella of His grace to save them. So it should be no surprise in this Advent narrative that we will work our way through this morning that we are told, you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. This again is our theme, and the narrative begins in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. We dare not miss the opening statement of this first Advent narrative that appears on the very first page of New Testament Scripture. It simply reads, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, who came, how it came about. We must always remember the weightiness of importance concerning the meaning of the word Messiah. Keep in mind that the word Messiah equals the word Christ. Both are the same meaning, two different languages, Hebrew and Greek. For Jesus to be the Christ or to be the Messiah is the one who is arriving on the contemporary scene of that day as the one who had been promised through the whole of Old Testament Scripture. Please keep in mind that the word Christ or Messiah means one anointed by God to perform a special task. And the task that the Christ, the Messiah, was ordained to fulfill is that the Messiah promised in the Old Testament would come into our world to be our Savior and our King. He would come to redeem us from sin and rule over us in righteousness. He would come to save us from the consequences that our sins deserve and be sovereign over us, rule us. So it is right to say that Jesus is our Savior King, anointed by God to redeem us and rule us. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. I find it interesting that at the end of John's Gospel, John tells us the purpose for which he wrote the fourth Gospel. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. All four Gospels are signed off with that promise. 
The Messiah is one who must be believed in. And we only get life, and we only get eternal life when we call out to the Savior for His grace and salvation and forgiveness. So that Jesus is the Messiah is utterly crucial. Now, hopefully you heard in these verses that the first Advent story given in the New Testament Scriptures begins with a pregnancy, and it begins, we assume rightly, I believe, it begins with heartache. You see, we are told that Joseph and Mary were pledged to be married. But in the same verses, we are equally told that Joseph was the husband of Mary. So how can that be reconciled? That on the one hand, they're pledged to be married, a future-oriented statement. Simultaneously, he is called Mary's husband. And in that culture, she would be, during this pledge, the wife of her husband. Well, the answer is rather simple. In Jesus' day, to be pledged to be married was an engagement, but it was equally a binding engagement, a legal engagement, where the two would share their vows of covenant and enter into this pledge to be married. Sometimes it would last a year. While they were considered husband and wife, They did not live together or engage in marital joys. And this legal binding, this legal pledge, could only be dissolved by a legal writ of divorce. And there was one reason for such a a breakage of the covenant, and that was if one had committed the sin of adultery. Joseph knows that his wife Mary has has pregnancy, and he knows, or at least he thinks he knows, that she has been unfaithful to him. And we can all imagine for a moment the heartache he must have felt, the betrayal he must have felt, It was no doubt to him a crushing blow. At the same time, we are told that he was a faithful man, a righteous man, a godly man. And so he could not finalize a marriage to one he was assuming was unfaithful. At the same time, no doubt about it, Joseph had a a spirit of compassion within himself. And he did not want to shame Mary. He did not want to make a public spectacle out of Mary. His thinking was, I will end this relationship, but I will do it in privacy. I will do it in quietness. At that moment, God the Father sent an angel to speak the word of God to Joseph in a dream. We read in verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her 
is from the Holy Spirit. Mary had not been unfaithful to Joseph. And the word of God through the angel removed all suspicion in the mind of Joseph. The reason is because a miracle had occurred in the womb of Mary. The Holy Spirit was the cause of the pregnancy. And what this means is that all natural biological laws were bypassed by God, the Almighty Holy Spirit. For this reason, the angel speaks to Joseph and says, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. I find it interesting, and I rather suspect you do as well, that in the three major Advent narratives, the imperative, the command to not be afraid is spoken by the angel here to Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Earlier in Luke's gospel, the angel appears to Mary and says that she will be the mother of the Holy One who is the Son of the Most High, the Savior of the world. And she asks, how can it be since I'm a virgin? And he says, it will be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid. Then the shepherds are in the fields of Bethlehem watching over their flocks at night. One angel appears to speak. Several appear to sing the glories of God. And the angel says to the shepherds, fear not. For I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you who is Christ. The Lord, did you know that in all the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, added up, the number one command that is given is do not be afraid. What is so crucial about this command to fear not is that its opposite is utterly necessary. Fear not means trust God. Trust His power and trust His promises and trust His faithfulness. I remember the first Sunday I preached in this congregation to an empty church. The pandemic had just started, and I prayed and prayed, Lord, what should I do for this first sermon through the lens of a camera? And I felt that I should preach on Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That word could be translated my victorious right hand. Don't be afraid. I'm sovereign over you. This was a moment in his life when his heart was broken, Joseph's. He felt crushed. He felt betrayed. And he was grieving. And in the midst of his very real situation, the angel says, don't be afraid to take Mary. I'm just stopping to make an application in passing. When we, met, when we, when we face difficulties and heartache, when we feel the crushing blow of our circumstances, and we will certainly feel them, at the same time, God says, don't be afraid. 
I'm with you to comfort you, to be your ever-present help in time of need, to be sovereign over you, and I will see you through it. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So Joseph, don't be afraid. Now at this moment in the narrative, Matthew switches from telling us how the Messiah will come into the world. And the how is, in fulfillment of prophecy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Messiah will be born of a virgin. And we believe this to be true. But he switches to why he's entering into our world. And to see the why, we need to read again verses 21 to 23. She will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And this was a fulfillment of prophecy, verse 22. For he also bears the title Emmanuel, God with us. Now this 21st verse is weighty with significance. You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. I've already told you that the Messiah means he's anointed by God to be our Savior and King. But what does the name Jesus mean? Did you know it means Jehovah saves? It means God is Savior. So you might think of it this way. The meaning of his name equals the mission of his life. You shall call his name Jesus. God saves. That's what it means. For his mission, he will save his people from their sins. Beloved, do you see what you're being told in this verse of sacred Scripture? You're being told Jesus is God. And as God, He is the Savior of His people from their sins. Did you know? It is the sustained practice of the Old Testament to refer only to Jehovah, only to God, as being capable of, of saving us, of being God our Savior. Let me just give you a handful of proofs. In Isaiah 43, verse 11, we read, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no what? Savior. Hosea 13, verse 4, the prophet affirms this truth. But I have been the Lord your God. That word Lord, all capitals, is Jehovah. I have been Jehovah your God ever since you came out of Egypt. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. And then Isaiah 45, verse 21. Declare what is to be presented. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, Jehovah, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, 
a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. The sustained practice of the Old Testament is the affirmation that the only Savior there is is God Himself. You move over to the New Testament and Jesus is called God who saves. His name means God saves. Yahweh saves. Because that's who Jesus is. He is God come to save His people from their sins. And if we doubt for a moment that the New Testament wishes to affirm the divine nature, the deity of Jesus, the very next title ascribed to Him is what? He is Emmanuel, who is God with us. And please, please understand, my dear, precious people, please understand that to be saved by God is no little thing. It is no simply sweet religious experience. It certainly isn't something He owes us. No, no. In the Bible, to be saved from our sins is to be forgiven of our sins so that we will no longer stand before Him in full accountability. It is to be saved from the wrath of God. It is to be saved from eternal ruin. It's to be saved from the tragic consequences of living in a Christless eternity. You shall call His name God saves because He's the only Savior that there is. And He saves those who believe in Him, who become His people from their sins. Well, how does the narrative here at least end? Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name, Jesus. The progression we see in Joseph's life is is compelling. It starts with Joseph's heartache. It moves to Joseph's dream, whereby he hears the word of God. And it moves to Joseph's obedience. For he was now conscious that the Messiah, God saves had come into our world, and he obeyed because he gave him the name Jesus. How glad we are for that reality. I'd like to think about this just a little bit longer under two application headings. The first is that we are to embrace the gift of forgiveness from God because he's the Savior. And the second application is that we must pursue the gift of fellowship with God because He is Emmanuel, always with those He saves. So first of all, embrace the gift of forgiveness that comes from God. There is only one gift in the whole wide world Only one absolutely necessary gift that we must embrace, that we must 
ask for. We must turn to God to receive. You know, there's a verse over in Corinthians that says, Thanks be unto God for His indescribable gift. And in that context, it is the gift of grace. It is the gift of forgiveness. It is the gift of knowing the Savior. And I repeat, we have rebelled against God. We have dishonored God. We deserve the justice of God. But the whole reason for His coming into the world is to save sinners. To wipe their slate clean, to forgive them. Let me put it this way. The baby born in Bethlehem is God. The baby born in Bethlehem is God made man. Without ceasing to be God, he has become a human without sin. But at Christmas time, we must think of the third statement. The baby born in Bethlehem is God made man to die for us. The miracle of Christmas has no eternal value unless it leads to Calvary. Until it leads to the death of Jesus. For in the death of Jesus, all our sin is heaped on Him. And the justice of God owed us is exhausted on Him so that He might extend His forgiveness. And oh, how breathtaking forgiveness is. My oldest grandson was here earlier in the morning. I got a hug after church from him, made my day. But when he was four years old, and we were standing on the beach shore, I picked up a fairly pretty seashell, and I showed it to him. And back in those days, I still had a little bit of my baseball arm. And I hurled it as far as I could out in the sea, and it splashed. And I says to Nathan, swim out there and get that shell and bring it back to me. And, oh, I can't do that. I, he didn't know how to swim. He's four years old. I said, and you know something? The prophet of the Old Testament says that God takes our sins, and he hurls them into the depths of the sea. And they seek down, down, down to the bottom. And your God will never retrieve your sins and hold them up against you in judgment. You'll never be able to swim out there. And there's something God can't do. God can't die. God can't lie. And God can't retrieve your sins and hold them against you because the blood of Jesus Christ is taking care of him. Forgiven. That is the promise of Christmas. And secondly, we are to pursue the gift of fellowship with God because when Jesus forgives you, when He takes away your sin, He does not leave you by Himself. He stays with you as Emmanuel, God with you. To enjoy sweet fellowship. Do you remember the old Westminster Shorter Catechism? What is the chief end of man? 
And the answer is given us, our ultimate purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And oh, we put the emphasis on living for the glory of God, which is true. But the theologians were wise enough to say, and to enjoy Him forever. Because living for the glory of God is not to be a drudgery. It is to be a delight. And this God comes to us, and He loves us, and He fellowships with us, and He cares for us. He goes on forgiving us, and He wants us to enjoy communion and friendship with Him. So I close with this. Jesus is God with us. The sovereign, holy God, the merciful and mighty God, the just and the love of God. He is that God worthy of our worship. He is God with us. He never turns His gaze away from us. He's never indifferent to us. He's never unavailable to us. He is always with us. We live under His gaze and in His presence forever. And He is God with us. With us in our battles. With us in our failures. With us in our joys and sorrows. He is the God who is with us through all of our days. And He will be the God who is with us when we come to die. So that He can take us to be with Him forever. Oh, that we would love Him more. And fellowship with Him more. And depend on Him more. He is infinitely, infinitely worthy. Shall we pray? Holy Father, you have given us what seems to me at least a spirit of quietness this morning. And I do hope and trust and pray that beyond a very erring human voice, that you have been speaking to us about our need for forgiveness and our need for fellowship. And please get for yourself from us all that you bled to purchase. Deepen our fellowship. Accept our praise. That we won't stand in full accountability before you. But we will hear you welcome us into your delightful presence. Not unto us, O oh Lord, not unto us, but unto your name be all the glory. Amen.